Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing from the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. I'm Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. These are the stories of Amber Chanel Hoops and Grace Marie Canto Reap. Amber Hoops was 20 years old in 2001. She was a shy and quiet person. She was an accomplished singer and sang with the Sunshine Singers from the time that she was four years old. She was also a member of the Bonneville Bonnevers. She enjoyed writing and photography. She had a small group of friends and was close to her younger sister, Jade. Amber had plans to attend culinary school. She lived with her grandparents, Norris and Kathleen Bergener on the 2700 block of East Lincoln Road in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Idaho Falls sits on the southeastern corner of the state where Idaho bumps up into Wyoming. It is located in Bonneville County and has a population of over 60,000. The per capita income is $18,857. Their main industries include nuclear technology, healthcare, and agriculture. They are home to the Idaho National Laboratory and Melaleuca Incorporated. On September 14, 2001, Amber spoke to her younger sister until about 10 p.m. and said goodnight to her grandparents around 10.30. She was wearing a white t-shirt, white boxer shorts, and a gray terry cloth robe. Around 1 a.m., Amber's grandmother, Kathleen, woke up and noticed that Amber's light was still on, but she wasn't in her room, and the back door was unlocked. The family owned Bergener's classic truck and auto body shop, which adjoined their home. In the garage, they found that the computer monitor was on. Amber would use the garage computer to email her friends sometimes. There was a shop truck that was missing from the garage, so Norris called the bag phone located in that truck. When nobody answered, they called the police. They found the shop truck just two miles away on Lincoln Road. It still had the keys in the ignition. There was no other evidence. The family believed that whoever took the truck knew where the lights in the garage were and how to open the overhead doors, and that the key would be in the vehicle. They suspected that the person responsible for Amber's disappearance was someone that they knew. Amber's mother, Heavenly, reported that her daughter was funny and silly, but not someone to run away from home. She had plans for her future and had a close relationship with her family. Dozens of people searched for Amber for weeks. They searched the area around Lincoln Road and the foothills of Bonneville County. Nothing of significance was found. Nine months after Amber Hoops disappeared, two sisters were sleeping outside on the trampoline in their yard when the 14-year-old was kidnapped while the other sister slept. The girl was chained to a bed. When the perpetrator left for work, she was able to escape and tell the police. When Keith Glenn Mark Hescock came home from work. He was met by the police. He fled in his work truck and took the police on a 40-mile high-speed chase. He ended up at a dead-end road in the Big Hole Mountains and took off on foot. He was chased by a police dog, which he shot and killed. He wounded a police officer before turning the gun on himself. Mark Hescock had been a suspect in the disappearance of Amber Hoops, 
but relatives had given an alibi for him. He had worked as a painter for Norris Bergener two years earlier. Norris and Mark clashed, uh, and eventually Mark quit. The family felt that Mark had a vendetta against them, and he had threatened Norris shortly before Amber went missing. Amber Chanel Hoops was 20 years old when she went missing. She would be 39 years old today. She is Caucasian and stood 5 foot 5 and weighed 140 pounds when she went missing. She has brown hair and brown eyes. She wears a small diamond stud earring in her upper left ear. Amber was diagnosed with vitiligo, a skin condition that caused white colored patches. She has spots on her upper left arm and her left leg from her thigh to her ankle. If you have any information about the disappearance of Amber Chanel Hoops, contact the Bonneville Sheriff's Office at 208-529-1200. Do we know why she lived with her grandparents and not her parents? No. Okay. Um, she was 20. Oh, uh, sure. She, she, just, was, she sure. was 20, and but um, she... Her, her mother, and she was described as being quiet and shy. Um, she, was a, she was a nanny, I think, probably for the two years between high school and, and this time frame. And uh, she liked working with kids. She was quiet and shy. So she, she was probably going to stick around, around and, sure. and um, not necessarily be somebody who... She just, yeah, so that didn't say why, but it didn't say, it doesn't appear that there was any issues or anything. Um, she had a good relationship with her sister, and it, it didn't appear that there was any. Uh, so on the, the, um, the, the website, it also listed the, uh, the, uh, car, the shop for this family, and um, and there's a picture of all of them. Sure. Um, that that work there, so it's a it's a it's a shop of significant size, and um, but it didn't appear as if there was any any issues that she had she had gotten into trouble or that she was a troubled girl or that there was any issues. Sure. Other than it was a, a maybe a step towards independence. Right. Right. And she probably worked there doing something. Um, so yeah, she she, it it, the it reported that she didn't have a whole lot of friends. She had a small group of friends, and um, she wasn't somebody who was just gonna take off in the middle of the night and be gone. She hadn't done that before, and it was just not something that was really likely that she would have done. Sure. So, and she hadn't lived with her grandparents when Mark Hescock had worked uh, for the shop. He had been a painter, and he, she hadn't... It, wasn't, it didn't appear as if their paths had crossed, sure. necessarily. So Yeah, I was wondering why they... I mean, he obviously did something like this nine months after she disappeared, but right. you know, what was the connection to think that it was him other than that? You know, other than right. he knew he, the family? He had been a suspect yeah. at, when, that, when it happened. Oh, okay. He had been a suspect, and okay. because because he he knew the family, and he, but a a relative had given an alibi for him. Sure. And it, they found out later that that alibi wasn't correct. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, 
which, you know, if that led to a, another a 14-year-old girl being kidnapped from her yard. Yeah. Um, and Lord knows what happened to her. Um, right. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he had been a suspect yes. after the night, you know, after he had kidnapped the other girl. Then they started to think it was him. No, or they did. He... They, he, they, he had, they had considered him before. Gotcha, okay. But, and they had questioned, uh, and... A, a relative had given an alibi, yeah. and then he was no longer looked at. But they looked at him closer after this, this, um, this case because there was there were some similarities. Yeah. There were some, even though their age difference was kind of significant, uh, one being fourteen, one being twenty. I think that that Amber appeared to be young and and innocent. Right. Um, right. So. So that might have been that that might have been an appeal to him. Yeah. But she wasn't very large, a very large person, and so, um, yeah, the house and the garage, the house and the shop, were in close proximity. Mm -hmm. So there couldn't have been a whole lot of commotion. Right. Um, or they would have been heard. Was so. this the kind of town that, maybe you don't know, but was this the kind of town that you just kind of, everybody knew everybody? And, I mean, it was a larger town, but would you lock your doors at night? I mean, were they... Well, it, it sounded like that it was unusual that the back door, even though this was kind of a, a if you will, maybe a complex. I, sure. mean, I don't know if that's a quite, quite the right term for it, but they they normally locked their back door. Sure. Uh, even though the garage and the shop were close by. Right, okay. So so yeah, you would do that. But yeah. it does feel a little bit like a, a rural community. Sure. And um the Yeah, so and the this family was is was well known, well liked, and um yeah, and who knows? Uh, there's there are other people that had. There are other crimes that 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 he was considered for, okay. and um, somebody that had gone missing and and was never found, and so. Now, but he committed suicide, and right. now nobody knows, and it's very unfortunate because. It it sounds like this area is well within forty miles. It was you know wilderness. Yeah. And so I hate this. I hate the part um, where two sisters, um, the fourteen year old that was kidnapped from her yard, those two sisters. It was June, June or July, and they were sleeping outside on the trampoline, which is exactly what a 14-year-old and her sister would do. Yeah. Um, and one could be taken while the other one slept. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. My story this week is basically just a rewrite of The Charlie Project um, because there is nothing other than that, on this story. Hmm. Grace Marie Canto Reap and her young daughter, Grace Noel, also known as Gracie, 
disappeared from the residence on Haney Lane in rural Jericho, Vermont, on June 6, 1978. They lived on a 10-acre plot. Jericho has a population of roughly 5,000. Grace allegedly left a note stating that she and Gracie were leaving their home voluntarily and had no plans to return. Why would you leave a note? That's um, not what you would do. That's just not what you would do. If it doesn't matter why you were leaving. If you, right. were, if you were skipping out on rent, right. you wouldn't say, I'm skipping out on rent. Right. Right. Neither of them have been heard from since. Grace's husband, Michael Eugene Reap, reported his, his wife and daughter missing to the Vermont State Police on June 11, 1978, five days later. Michael then filed for divorce from Grace on June 16, 1978, ten days after she vanished. Sorry. All of these things are... Does it, does it say how old uh, Gracie was? Um, she was five. So if... It's one thing for your wife to go missing, but a five-year-old child... Right. And even if you were having a hard time, um, five days is a lot of time to go missing before you report. And then to file for divorce 10 days later? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the divorce, he cited desertion and intolerable severity as his reasons for the disillusion of marriage. He and Grace were also the parents of two sons who were 11 and 7 years old in 1978. Grace's relatives stated it would be uncharacteristic of her to abandon her sons. Authorities questioned Michael regarding his wife and daughter's disappearances shortly after he filed the police reports in 1978. Michael admitted that he had several extramarital affairs while wed to Grace and was having one at the time of her disappearance. There were reports that Grace was physically abused by Michael. He maintained that Grace took their daughter of her own free will and simply vanished. In a letter he wrote Grace's family members in December 1978, Michael stated he believed Grace had left because she was having an affair, and she left her sons behind because they knew about the affair. No. Nope. No. Michael was granted a divorce from Grace in July of 1979, just over one year after she was last seen. He married their children's former babysitter in November 1979. No, no, no. This is not good. This does not bode well. No. In 1983, he lost his job as an air traffic controller and moved his family to Florida. Michael and his second wife divorced in 1985. He continued to tell authorities that he believed Grace and Gracie were living with Grace's relatives and stated he hoped Gracie would contact him in the future. Grace's family, however, continued to investigate their disappearances and heard from neither Grace nor Gracie since 1978. The missing persons case was reopened in the summer of 1987. Extensive searches of the Reap's former Vermont property have been conducted since 1978. Investigators have not lo located any sign of Grace or Gracie's whereabouts. Their cases were classified as homicides in 1996. Well, they found something. Wouldn't you say? This is 20 years after, I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, there's, there's literally nothing else about, I couldn't even find, I mean, the Charlie Project has this, all this information, but I couldn't find any of this information other than. That one. On the Charlie Project huh. website. So I'm, uh, and I don't know, it, maybe it's just because it was from the 70s and yeah, so there just probably. wasn't maybe news much, articles right. or, I don't know. 
Michael remarried for the third time by the mid-1990s. In May 1996, one of Grace's sons died in Germany of natural causes. Vermont. So this must not have been his sons. I think it was. Okay. Um, I'm not sure why they worded it that way. Okay. I think it was. Okay. I don't believe she had any other children other okay. than the ones with Michael. Okay. Um, Vermont authorities interviewed Michael in Florida in September. He continued to claim he believed his former wife and daughter were alive and well. Michael left his home in Jupiter, Florida on October 26, 1996. He drove his gray 1994 Isuzu pickup truck with, with the Florida license plate to New Orleans, Louisiana. And bank records show he made a withdrawal at a New Orleans ATM. Michael and Grace's surviving son reported his father as a missing person to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department in November 1996, so a month after he, he left for New Orleans. Michael's truck was located at an airport in New Orleans in December 96, but there was no trace of him. He took only his toothbrush and cigarettes. In June 2006, authorities charged Michael with first-degree murder in connection to Grace's disappearance and second-degree murder in connection with Gracie's. They theorized that Grace was killed because she found out about Michael's affair, and Gracie was killed because she witnessed her mother's murder. Michael remained at large, however, and renewed attempts to locate him came to nothing for the next four years. On June 7, 2012, the 34th anniversary of this case, the Vermont State Police received information that Michael Reap was located in Arizona and had been deceased since January 1997. Michael Reap was involved in an armed carjacking in Arizona and ran from the police. When law enforcement got close, Michael shot himself. He had been listed as a John Doe. Verification of his identity was confirmed through fingerprints and photos. Authorities have conducted over 25 digs of the, on the Reap's former Vermont property since 1996. They still believe Grace and Gracie's remains are buried somewhere on the property, and they still hope to recover them. Foul play is suspected in their cases due to the circumstances involved. Grace Marie Canto Reap was 32 years old when she disappeared. She would be 75 this year. She is described as Caucasian, 5'7 and 190 pounds. She has brown hair and brown eyes. She has a scar on her abdomen and her ears are pierced. Gracie Reap was five years old when she disappeared. She would be 47 this year. She is described as Caucasian and she was three feet tall and 30 pounds in 1978. She has brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about the disappearance and or whereabouts of Grace and Gracie Reap, please call the Vermont State Police at 802-524-5993. So I know that we've done a story about Jericho. Have we? Yeah. Interesting. It been one of the early ones. And Interesting. It, it, Jericho is, is a town of 5,000. Yeah, it's little. It's little. Yeah. Um... So can you imagine there are two boys left behind? One boy. One, no. no, I mean, but there yeah, are two, two right. boys. That mother disappears, right. takes the daughter, the youngest child, and leaves them behind. Well, and what were they told? And what were they told? It's just they were, heartbreaking. That, you know, that she's living with relatives and, right. um, you know, she left us. Right. She didn't love you guys. Well, she didn't I love mean, us really enough. She didn't love us. She, and, um, but the trauma that they would have experienced. 
and the heartache. And the truth is, I think, kids know. Oh, absolutely. They may not know exactly what happened. Right. But you can't hide all that. Yeah. Right, especially if, if he had been violent with her. I mean, the kids would have known something. At right. least that part of right. it. You know, they would have right. known that something wasn't right. And that it would have been very unlike their mother to have left them, right. to have abandoned them, right. and left them all alone. Um, the um, They had been so young when they got married, um, 18 and 20 or whatever, but I just, I, I think of those two surviving boys. I, I can't even imagine what Grace and Gracie went through. Right. Uh, I can't even imagine. Um, because he was a cheater, And uh, eventually a thief. Yeah. Um, but those those two boys that were left behind, um, they might have known in their hearts, but they would have had the rest of their life would have been they would have been fed his version, the father's version of what happened. Right. It makes me angry. Well, it's just it's just so heartbreaking. I mean, hopefully now, you know, the one is an adult, and hopefully now. He knows maybe more to this, more of the story. Maybe not obviously the whole truth, but maybe more of the story just from his relatives. But well, it doesn't take away from well, uh, well, that pain. And and you're, it's just, it's just horrible. Yeah, it's just horrible. And what, and it's so selfish and so, um, just get a divorce. Right. Right. But. You get a divorce, and the children are either, you know, at that time, in 1978, the children would have gone with her. Yeah. And, I, but, it just makes me angry, and it's so, um, it's so selfish. That's what's so hard. Right. Yeah, I was hoping to find more information on anything, and there just is literally nothing about him, I mean, Nothing. but in 1978, I mean, we would have had party lines, mm -hmm. phone lines, a party line, which means that there's um, a couple of people connected on the phone at the same time, and and um, you might not have had a phone. Right. It, right. You might not have. Um, it, it would would have been easier to disappear. Yeah. If you wanted to, mm -hmm. though, I don't think that's what they did. No, I don't because think so. I don't think any mother would leave behind her two sons with somebody who had been abusive with her. Right. I don't. I just don't know. I don't think they that she would have. But yeah. I think that we should change this podcast to where we start doing stories of people who are found and 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 have. A, I think that we found. should do this podcast while we're drinking and crying. <laughs> It is the worst. It is the worst. And there's never a good story. No. There's there's only good people who've gone missing and who, you know, have left a void in this world. And, well, it's just, it's so terrifying. I mean, you just, you go about your day and you see all these faces. I mean, in such a small town, we know most of them that we, mm -hmm. we see. 
but you see all these faces and you just, I mean, after reading all these stories for all this, all these episodes, you just think like some people, some of these people could be anywhere. Like they could, oh. they could be in our town. I mean, anywhere you go to town and any one of them could be some of these people that we talk well, and about a lot because we are from a small town. I think that we yeah. choose stories that are of small towns. I don't know why, because I'm not necessarily looking for that, but yeah. a lot of our stories are from very small towns. Mm-hmm. Of 5,000 or less. Yeah. And um, the idea that somebody can go missing from a, a town our size. Yeah. Um, the idea that uh, a sister can be taken off of a trampoline with her other sister sleeping right there beside her. It's just scares the crap out yeah. of me. Well, I think, too, what's terrifying is that people can go missing in huge, huge metro areas. Mm-hmm. And also teeny little towns. Right. Just as easy. Like, just as... It's like just that. as common. It's yes. just as common. And we're nothing. There's no evidence. They've literally just vanished. That's what scares the crap out of me. And I, you know, I, I, I think about this, and I, I think that it is the armchair sleuths that will resolve these mm-hmm. cases. Absolutely. Their family, their friends... And people who are just, who are from that area, who yeah. are curious. And they start walking the trails yeah. and going off the trails. Because, I mean, there are some cases in which people were incinerated or were, right. um, there was nothing left mm-hmm. of them to be found. Right. But I think in a lot of cases, there's, there's evidence that's it's just isn't, it just hasn't been found yet. Right, right. I don't know that I would recommend that people go walking in the woods by themselves because that seems very dangerous. However, if you have a big dog and um, do it with a friend because that's how these things are going to be found and cases are going to be resolved. Mm -hmm. While we don't currently have somebody that we know that's missing from our our city, we do have somebody who's missing from the Bemidji area. We did his story. uh, um, There was just an anniversary of his, his disappearance. And... He still hasn't been found. Where did he go? We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com. Okay, so Katie, for okay. my weekly distraction, yes, I have something special for you. Okay, I have ridiculous names of dogs. Okay, okay, um, which I just they made me laugh so hard. So uh, these are the I picked some of the the best ones okay. for you. So Alfred von Wigglebottom. <gasps> I love that. You can see him. You can see him. I love that. Andrew Warhowl. <laughs> Sir Francis Bacon. Oh, that's quite a formal name. I like that. I mean, I don't know what you, Frankie. I mean, I don't know what you call him. Is well, a, yeah. Bet Betty Twiglet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to imagine the dogs. Yeah. Now this dog, I can imagine. Brian. Oh, Brian. You know, you've met a Brian dog. Yeah. Yep. Doggy Howsler. Howsler. Oh, M D. <laughs> Dumbledog. Oh, I like that. I have met a Dumbledog. 
Ferdinand. <laughs> That's a good name. It's a good, strong, strong name. name. I feel like it needs to be a bulldog, though. Oh, it's got it. You got to be able to carry that off. Yeah, uh, it can't be a his chihuahua. name is Ferdinand. He should have some <laughs> sure. fur. Yep. Paw. Ter. Oh, paw. Ter. Sorry, sure. I can't read. Hashtag. Oh well, it means a hip. It goes with the times, I suppose. Yeah. Hot Rod Woofington. <laughs> Jimmy Choo. Oh, I like that. Which I think is actually the name of somebody who... Act, it, it's a designer. It's a designer. Yes. And uh, it's great. <laughs> Milkshake. Oh, that's a good name, actually. Okay. Milkshake. I, it, the, see, the thing is that when I yeah. come up with a name, I, I uh, what does it sound like when you're yelling it out the back that's door? That's what you have to envision when you Milkshake is... Yep. Your, people are going to... What? Yep, same with children. When you name your children, you, you got have to be able to a, a say their name. name. And, uh, and yep. their last name, their middle name needs to be... It needs to be a punctuation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like Mr. Fluffers. Oh. Mr. Fluffers, you, Mr. Fluffers, you get over here. <laughs> I feel like it would be very difficult to be serious oh, with you Mr. Could, Fluffers. And, and you could not yell, Fluffers? Yeah. You can't yell at no. Fluffers. Uh-uh. Nacho. Is it a Chihuahua? I don't know, but it should be. It should be. Princess Porkchop. Oh. I like that. I mean, I think some of these names could actually be people, too. Sure. Professor Wagglesworth. Oh, I like that one. Put put. Put put. Yeah. Also, oh Pop Tart. <laughs> <laughs> the Queen of Barkness. <laughs> oh my gosh! I love that. The Queen of Barkness. I mean, Queenie. Queenie? I mean, I, you could, sure. you could, you could, mm-hmm. you could do that. Sergeant Barkowitz. <laughs> Sherlock Bones. Well, that's a good one. Sir barks a lot. Mm. That's a good one. See, you know, you name the dog, you name the dog, and then the, you you don't use the name that you gave the dog. You use a nickname. A nickname. Forever. Yep. Unless yep. they're in trouble, and then maybe the full name. Right. This is a good one. Spark plug. Oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> spark pug. Oh, spark pug. Do you get it? That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, that's, a, that's good one. a good one. This is this is absolutely a chihuahua. Terror. Oh, mm-hmm. Terror. <laughs> Terror, you get over here. It's, you can just, you got to use it. And this one is, would be hard to yell. Waffles. Though it is a very descriptive name for a dog. Yes. Waffles. Waffles. And I think a three-year-old chose the name. I love that name. Waltzing Matilda. Oh, Matilda. Goodness. Winnie the Poodle. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's good. And the last one is Wolfgang. Amadeus. Oh. Get it? Wolfgang. Yes. Yes. That's those are good. Those were good. Those are good. I have maybe one hundred more names, but oh. those were the best. Okay. Mine for this week is very short, but it's very sweet. So these are four to eight year olds describing love. So there's only six of them. Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Oh my God. I know. That's the sweetest thing ever. I know, I know. Terry, age four. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Oh. Danny, age seven. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> It's so She's cute. stealing coffee from yeah. him, but it's... <laughs> Just to make sure it's okay. 
<laughs> and you know what? To notice that at that young age. I know. Age, it's so it's, cute. Because it's the small things in life. It is. Nika, age eight, six, if you want to learn love better, you should start with the friend you hate. Maybe not today. Uh, Maybe not today. But I. But it's a good idea. Well, it's pretty deep for a six-year-old. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. and, and uh, we should mature, all try a little bit better. Pretty mature for a yes. six-year-old. Apparently, yes. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, age five. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece, piece of chicken. That's true. It's true. And this is the last one, and I think the most adorable one. Chris, age seven. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is the sweetest. I'm not, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> the little kid has no idea who Robert Redford no, is. No, no, no. <laughs> Those are wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com.